Welcome to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, accompanied weekly by my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey, the only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. So right here on the Voice of Truth Radio Show, we're going to be engaging in vigorous, robust discussion on culture, history, current events, and we'll give it to you from a biblical perspective. So our show is on Thursday, 5 o'clock. A afternoon, Saturday's 3 o'clock afternoon, and uh, we podcast at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. Uh, so welcome to the show, folks. We're so glad to have you uh, that listen in. We appreciate our audience, don't we, uh, Reverend Leverson? We do. We're yeah. glad for you. Hey, we're hearing back from more and more of them all the time. I have people come up to me saying they're listening to the show, enjoying you know, being able to learn about current events from a biblical viewpoint, you just don't get that anywhere. You know, nobody right. really tries to break things down in a way that I think at least makes sense. And I believe when you look at things through the lens of Scripture, uh, through our designer, through our creator, and then you match up what's actually going on, you can see why things are as crazy as they are right now. When you don't see something from a uh, biblical, scriptural perspective, you don't understand it. You yeah. can't fully understand it. And that's the wonderful thing about God is he gives, if you ask him, he'll give you wisdom. If you read his word, he'll give you wisdom. If you if you hear preaching, and, and uh, he'll give you wisdom to understand yeah. those things. And, and uh, you know, we, we, if we don't have the Lord, we're of all men most miserable, yeah. Paul said. So uh, if you don't have hope, there's always hope. Yeah. If you're a believer— in Jesus Christ, no matter what's happening, there's mm-hmm. hope. That's right. There's no reason to be despondent uh, because because God is is controlling everything that's that's mm-hmm. happening. He is in control, right? You're the you're the preacher <laughs> here. He's the uh, the providence of God uh, should uh, should give us all assurance and rest and Absolutely. peace. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, great peace have they uh, which love thy law, and uh, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed. Mm-hmm. On the you want peace, turn your thoughts to God. If you're having a hard day with all that's going on, look. Just think about the Lord. Um, take a take a verse of scripture. Just re- read a verse of scripture and just mm-hmm. just chew on it. You know. Hey, if one bad day gets you down, the devil will give you another. If one piece of bad news gets you down, the devil will give you another. Yeah, so. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, so. We uh, it's raining outside. We're recording on Wednesday, and the great is this uh, Hurricane Ida. What, whatever happened? I think it's the remnants of that. The remnants. Yeah. We never get the actual hurricane. No. We're too far north, right? We but get the leftovers. We get the leftovers, yeah. and we appreciate. It. That's how the uh, one of the ways the Lord waters the country is uh, hurricanes. Mm-hmm. So and my uh, lawn must have needed it bad. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty brown. Everyone's so. lawn is is growing uh, exponentially now. Yeah. But it, it was brown. It was like dry for a long time for. For uh, July, it got hot this summer. It did, and you know it's funny. Just moving here, everybody wants to convince me that oh, this is very irregular. Whenever the weather, you know, is too hot or yeah. too cold, this is very irregular. This, right. is, this barely ever happens. Yeah. You know? So I'm starting to figure it out. Well, we're defensive, you know. We gonna uh, West Virginia's perfect. Absolutely, so, almost heaven. Southern California, what's out there? Yeah, I mean, man. 
Ocean Beach. Palm I spent a whole summer out there when I was. I ever tell you about the trip we made when I was twelve? Uh, my grandfather had a motorhome, and the whole family, him, my grandmother, we all just took off uh, from West Virginia to California. My uncle lived out in California. He made a bunch of money out there, and this is back in the seventies. He was a builder, and he got us a house, and we stayed out the whole, the whole summer. Wow. Yeah, in um, Newport Beach. Oh, it's a beautiful area. Uh, it's like, um, don't go there. Don't go, because you will come back saying, I'd like to live in Newport <laughs> Beach, but I don't have the money to do it. Nobody has the money. Nobody has the money. <laughs> hey, I heard the average median price in Southern California, I don't even know if it's Southern California, it might be all of California, is $800,000 now. For a house? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, houses everywhere are just yeah, through the roof. Amazing. Everywhere. It's, yeah. it's, uh, so we're waiting. Uh, we just sold our house in Indiana. I think I told you about that. And uh, this is northwest Indiana. This is kind of on the cusp of Chicago. So we kind of had a, a double blessing there because everyone, uh, there, there's been people fleeing Chicago for uh, several decades probably yeah. and coming into the area where, where uh, we moved from. Uh, and, and these people from Chicago have a lot of money, and you mm. see these these little sequestered areas of neighborhoods with these huge houses that pop up in the middle of these normal, uh, you know, middle to upper class towns. Yeah. And they're they're wealthy Chicago people saying, "I'm not paying uh, Illinois taxes anymore." Yeah. So the first story. Let's segue into this. We're going to talk about uh, a couple um, a couple big events that affect the Christian community. And uh, uh, one of them is um, a stinging defeat that uh, just happened with uh, Virginia School District pays $1.3 million to settle trans student Gavin Grimm's bathroom uh, lawsuit. So this is a gal born biologically female Hmm. transitioning uh, to... A male, there's a picture of him here. If you want to see the article, just uh, look it up, and you'll see a picture of this uh, this poor gal that's uh, transitioning to a boy. So he's uh, he was bo- he was barred in this school from using the boys' bathroom, and this was in uh, Gloucester County, Virginia. Uh, so they sued. Hmm. Golly, you don't get your way. What are you doing, America? You sue. Uh, you want uh, you want your daughter to be allowed in the boys' bathroom, and it's vice versa most of the time. But here's a gal who wants to use the boys' bathroom, and uh, sues the school. The school had to pay 1.3 million dollars hmm. in attorneys' fees and other costs. Now, here's the thing: uh, the settlement comes after the U.S. Supreme Court would not hear the appeal. The appeal came from the U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Who all is in the U.S. Fourth uh, Circuit Court of Appeals? Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Maryland, and West Virginia. Wow. So this this will affect – so what do schools do? You know, we, we get upset with the public schools sometimes for what they do and teach and so on. But here here's a ruling from uh, an appeals court that tells the public schools that you have to do this. You have to allow girls into the boys' bathroom. Uh, we've gone insane. Yeah. This is this is just pure uh, rebellion mm. against the order that God has set in the universe and against God Himself. And it's utter blindness. I mean, it's it, it's it's really scary how 
And scripture says it. I mean, we can't be shocked by it, but he says that the the darkness of this world, the the spirit of this world, the prince and the power of the air, he's going to blind them. And I don't know how you can get any more blind than where now this inability to have any discernment at all whatsoever is costing. It's costing millions of dollars. It's costing us in our social fabric. It's costing us in, in how we're raising future generations where there is no absolutes. And no wonder many of these courts don't want to take any of this stuff on. What are they basing their rulings on anymore? If you can't base your rulings on a moral foundation, if you can't base your... All they're doing is they're basing their rulings on precedent now. And and they're caving all the precedents into issues like this so that by the time we fast forward five, ten years from now, all of these court cases are going to be settled. They're never going to go to any kind of hearing because there's nothing to argue about because there's no moral law to argue from. There's only precedent that we've set in our own blindness. And now we're really in trouble because there's no appeal to anything. That's uh, very well said. Uh, Starry decisis is, w- is what precedent is called. And, and when, you <clears throat> when you keep going off precedent, as you said, uh, you're going often off of bad decisions that are bad mm. law, that don't go off of God's law, right. that don't go off the Constitution. And uh, so, you know, everyone says, precedent, precedent, precedent. Well, historically, Supreme Court has often gone against precedent. Yeah. Well, that's why it goes to the Supreme Court. But I'm confused. Uh, I'm confused about what's going on in our Supreme Court. I thought yeah. we were supposed to have some justices there that were going to take on these issues and we're going to speak to some, you know, foundational truth again. And I, I can't tell you, I've obviously been disappointed in a lot of what's happened in our government uh, as of recent, but I can't think of any bigger disappointment that I've seen than what's happened in our, our Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has been faithful to disappoint yeah. conservative Christians in America for decades. We keep sending up these appointments, and, and President Trump just did the same thing. Amy Coney Barrett, oh, she was going to be great. Uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh, oh, he was going to be great. Gorsuch, oh, he was going to be great. And these guys get up there, and I don't know what happens. Uh, I don't know if they feel the weight of the whole country on their shoulders and their pressure, and they think they're supposed to be um, a certain way to uh, to not look mean or whatever, or the cocktail circuit that you hear about in D.C. Everyone says that. They don't want to be embarrassed on the cocktail circuit. And there's probably a lot to that. I think maybe the prince of the, the seat of Satan might be Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it, it's just a, it's, it's an evil place in so many ways. And, uh, yeah, the Supreme Court has been a major disappointment. Um, in the last year, maybe they don't, they don't want to, you know, show that oh, I'm not biased for Trump. It's that Trump syndrome. But uh, so anyway, so that was the bad, a bad decision. Here's a good one. Oh, John MacArthur, who when when this whole COVID thing started, uh, preacher, he was he was wobbly. A, friend, a, a, a preacher buddy of mine who's up, up in his 80s from Montana. We correspond last four or five years and. And I love this guy. He's like hardcore, uh, unafraid. He sent John MacArthur these letters. He sent me copies of it. And I don't know if they had an influence on John MacArthur, but to John MacArthur's credit, um, he he was humble enough to say, look, I was not in the right direction on this. And he changed his stance and became very bold on uh, Gavin against Gavin Newsom in the state of California, shutting him down, shutting these churches down. Right. Shutting uh, private parties down, 
and and this is this is overreach of the government well, they were in letting, a way that's hard to hard to believe. They were letting uh, dance clubs stay open, and they were letting um, bars and stuff at the time when they were wanting to shut churches down stay open. And so it was a very mixed signal. It was hypocritical yeah. for sure. A judge ruled late Friday afternoon that Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California, can yes, continue hosting indoor worship services and does not have to adhere to any attendance caps or bans on singing. Hmm. I've had people sue me to ban me singing, <laughs> but I always hey. win an appeal. Uh, yeah. Get back. We get need back, to, we Jack. Need to get I'm some, singing. We need to get some precedent against that. <laughs> California megachurch pastor John MacArthur filed a lawsuit against Gavin Newsom, governor, and other state officials over ongoing restrictions for churches amid the corona uh, pandemic. In the filing, and it was submitted by um, Landmark Le- I forget what group, but anyway. Um, so they just basically filed and sued and won the lawsuit and were awarded $800,000. Wow. There was another lawsuit out there. I forget who won it, but another church uh, won, I think, several million dollars mm-hmm. from the state. Which uh, So this is a wonderful thing. There's a great victory uh, for, uh, for religious freedom that happened because John MacArthur mm. stood up. And we're going to look back at this and we're going to we're going to thank God that there were these opportunities and it's going to help us because you know sicknesses and pandemics and things aren't going to go away. You know these things are going to right we've got these variants and all these things right. that are happening now and if you're shutting down a group of people Christians who are are not running away uh in fear but are living in faith and are are the ones praying and helping and serving and and trying to be a blessing to those that are sick and, and ill and uh, was trying to stay open so that they can feed people with the Word of God and, and have people get together to encourage each other. That's so important during times like this. Yeah, yeah, and, and you made some great points during the whole pan- pandemic about how not not assembling ourselves together like Hebrews says we're supposed to do and the Lord says we're supposed to do in Hebrews and, and how that affects you spiritually. Yeah. Uh, 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 these little these little kids, you know, that are uh, that are separated from their friends, and fr- they, they these these little kids, you know, you have suicide and look, yeah. young kids. Well, the, the rates went through the roof with with depression and suicide, and uh, you know, you can't turn on a TV that tells you there's no hope and everyone's dying, and uh, think that that's going to feed your spirit. You you've got to be able to get to a place where you can see what's going on from a biblical standpoint, and apply truths of peace and joy and love to your life because we have that in the word of god mm-hmm. and what i like about that passage in hebrews is it says we're to meet even more so as you see that day approaching well some yeah. of these things that are happening are, are part of what is going to be taking place as we are in the last days and we're not to stay away from each other we're to support each other even more and worship together even more yes we are amen so uh, let's segue here real quick. We got some more time in this segment. Here's a homeschooling story that <clears throat> we've talked about homeschooling the last several weeks, but I find this so fascinating. And and we weren't even homeschoolers. We sent our kids almost um, almost every single year to Christian school. But you homeschool. Mm-hmm. Your wife homeschools. Um, and I my my sister homeschooled all six of her kids. Uh, so homeschooling I find fascinating. Just the fact that 
that these uh, moms can do it is what the most fascinating thing yeah. to me. They At home, they teach their kids, and uh, guess what? God blesses it. Mm-hmm. The number of U.S. kids who are homeschooled, so this is a story from Axios, um, dated uh, August 31, so just yesterday. Mm-hmm. The number of U.S. kids who are homeschooled has nearly doubled. That's doubled. Yeah. During uh, during the pandemic, why uh, why it matters? Some parents have lost faith in traditional schools and so on. So here's the numbers: nearly 2.6 million kids have switched. 2.6 million, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> have switched from traditional school to homeschooling since the pandemic began. And this is uh, a report from Bellwether Education Partners. And the Walton Family Foundation commissioned it, so that'd be Mm. Walmart. Now the total number of homeschooled kids sits at about 5 million. So that means a year, year and a half ago, it was 2.5 million. Mm -hmm. 2.5 million to 5 million. Something's going on here. According to census data, more than 11% of U.S. households are now homeschooling. Mm. That's a lot. 11% of the kids... Uh, and, and this isn't all like right-wing religious, a lot of them, mm-hmm. but some, it's just regular folks now. And it's not just white families, back to the article, who are moving to homeschooling. 9.7% of white families with kids have pulled out of traditional education, as have 12.1% of Hispanic families. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. 8.8% of Asian families and 16.1% of black families. Wow. You know why? Because they get the worst schools in the whole nation. Yeah. These poor black folks, these black, these uh, that have to send their, their kids to these awful public schools in the middle of these ghettos. You should, uh, we used to call them ghettos yeah. because that's descriptive. That's what they are. And uh, they, uh, I've been in these. I, I used to visit in the uh, Chicago ghettos um, uh, every Saturday in Bible college. For the first time in modern history, parents got a chance to observe their children's up children's education up close yeah. at home. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden, and Ann Calder, the article we talked about uh, a month or so ago, Ann Calder said uh, it wasn't the moms, it was the dads who all of a sudden heard uh, on these Zoom school meetings, uh, what, did, what, what did that teacher just say? Mm-hmm. And it could very well have been critical race theory or multiculturalism or moral relativism or whatever. Um, it could have been common core math and so on. Um so those are the numbers that are coming out of the out of the homeschool movement, and this is a seismic shift, Pastor. Yeah, yeah, it is, and you know it it is because I think over this pandemic, parents have had to really dig in mm. to understand what their children are being taught, and I think there's yeah. been this displaced responsibility. Uh, listen, I have no problem with with kids being sent to school. I have no problem with that. Um, you know, I think parents need to know what's being taught. Um, there are a lot of things about the public school that, in my mind, uh, are, are difficult for me because of the uh, eradication of anything uh, from Scripture from school mm-hmm. and the promotion of secular humanism and evolution and so on and so forth. But the thing is, is that the, the worst fallacy is that parents became conditioned that whether it was Christian school or whether it was public school or whether it was daycare or whatever, 
That's just what we do as a culture. We just send our kids away, and for eight hours a day, uh, that's their problem, not mine. Mm -hmm. And then when we bring them home, I'll be able to, in two hours, between TV and and, uh, dinner and the chores, I'll be able to put enough into my kid's life where I don't need to know what's going on at school. Uh, False. Yeah. And if nothing else, what this did, and regardless of where you send your kids to school, I think it's involved parents more in the process. You have parents standing up in school board meetings now saying, my kids aren't going to do this. You have parents that are bringing their kids home now. And even if they're uh, using the public school system, uh, it's now they're doing it remotely where they can see what their teachers are teaching them. They can counter counteract that or say, hey, this is what our culture is going after, but this isn't what we believe in our home. That was not happening before. Parents were defaulting the raising of their children to the educational systems, whatever they are. And I wouldn't even recommend you do that at a Christian school. If you think because you're sending your kids to a Christian school, you don't need to know what they're learning. You don't need to be part of their education. You don't need to speak into their life. And, oh, I I send them to Sunday school. I send them to, to Christian school. No, parents are designed to be part of their kids' education. That's the bringing up of your children. What you teach your children matters. You need to be a part of that. Part of the contract that we signed before we started this radio show was that you weren't supposed to make me feel guilty. So that was a <laughs> breach of our contract. I will be calling my attorney. All right, so let's get that – was, that was great. So Project Veritas uh, – just a couple more minutes. We're out of the segment. Project Veritas um, – uh, that surreptitious group had a, an interview uh, with a camera hidden with a teacher in California – who is a member of Antifa. He said, we have 186 days, that's the school year, 186 days to indoctrinate or revolutionize them. There you have it right there. That's what he said. Uh, So just a a couple numbers and we're done here. But uh, there was a, uh, this is a 2019 article after all those teacher strikes, which actually started in West Virginia. But um, they did a, 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 uh, a survey on uh, and the question was why are teachers so liberal? Because many are, and not all not all are. Uh, you know, we all have no Christians who are teaching in public schools. Who we are glad they're there. Amen. Praise God for that. So um, here's uh, here's just a few numbers that uh, that it, that give you an idea of how teachers vote, how they think. The Washington Post reported on research conducted by Verdant Labs using political contribution data. So that's where they get it on the Democrat-Republican divide based on job type. So this is based on how, uh, how teachers um, gave in terms of, of uh, to political candidates. And uh, so it says, while it is unsurprising that among actors, it says early in the article, actors are 90% Democrat, 10% Republican. Among actors and actresses, there are 90, 90 Democrats for every 10 Republicans. Many would be amazed to discover that teachers are actually as liberal or even more so than those in acting. Hmm. So here's English teachers. English teachers, 97 Democrats for every three Republicans. Uh, health teachers, 99 Democrats for every one Republican. Uh, oh, let's see here. Slight, uh, while there are slightly more Republicans among math and science teachers, hmm. so math and science were the hard realities of, uh, mm-hmm. of the universe face you every day. Um, math and science, it's, it's uh, more Republican than Democrat. Um, 
among high school teachers overall, 87 Democrats for every 13 Republicans. So it skews uh, largely to uh, to the the liberal side than than the conservative. So and and this is uh, of course the universities are are very very liberal and and it, they just indoctrinate. Yeah. Well, it's a machine. The education system is, by and large, a machine, and it's turning out a product. And so if you're going to be an educator, you're going to go and get a high level of education. And as you go get a high level of education, the ones that are controlling the wheels and mechanisms of education are, are wanting to produce that product. And that happens to be what the product is overall. So. All right, so that's our segment uh, number one. We'll be back with segment number two. We're going to talk about the top five lies about Islam. Look, uh, what's going on with the Taliban in Afghanistan? Why do they act the way they act? We're gonna we're gonna tell you um, why, and uh, this is a, we're going to just talk about an article uh, by an Islam expert, William Kilpatrick. You will like this. This is the Voice of Truth Radio Show with uh, Mike Azinger and Brian Leversey. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. This is Mike Hazinger, your host, State Senator, Brian Leversey, your co-host, The Preacher, only show in America where you'll experience the fusion of church and state, the only one we've checked it. We haven't been to Alaska and Hawaii. We haven't. I think that we need to take a research trip, though, yes, mostly sir. to Hawaii. Yes, because <laughs> we, we, we really, really need to find out in Hawaii. All right, so uh, here's this segment. You're going to like this, folks. The top five lies about Islam you probably learned in church. Yeah. So a lot of churches have gone woke. A lot of churches have gone left because uh, it's more popular to preach what is uh, avant-garde, what's popular in the in the uh, culture, the zeitgeist, than it is the Bible. Mm-hmm. Bible's not always popular to, to teach. By the way, you're going to be teaching um, on critical race theory starting tonight yeah yeah September we're laying 2nd. we're laying the foundation first or second today it's the first first yeah okay yeah and, so we're uh, laying by the time they hear this be too late but can they get it online yeah yeah you can go online at uh, takemehome.church you can find our facebook page that way and uh, all of our sermons are recorded on our facebook page so you can get that or you can download our app from the website at takemehome.church and on the app, we have all of our sermons listed as well. We also have a YouTube channel, Fellowship Baptist Church of Vienna. And um, so, yeah, lots of ways that you can get it. Um, you're welcome to join us in person every Wednesday at 7 o'clock uh, in the evening. And uh, we've got programs for the kids and everything as well. But we are going to be dealing with social justice as a whole. Uh, we'll be dealing with critical race theory as a part of that. But the series is called Killing the Gospel. And, and the reason it's named that is because well, on the outside or on the surface, this issue of social justice looks like something that is good and yeah. righteous. Yeah. It really has brought in these mechanisms like critical race theory to address it. And the way they're addressing it is by um, really eliminating the gospel and bringing in man's own uh, biases and wisdom. And it's causing havoc and creating division and killing the gospel in a lot of churches that are adopting um, you know, things like critical race theory or just social justice in general into their uh, modality of ministry. And so it's, it's I hope it'll be eye-opening, and um, I promise it's not geared to be a political um, 
you know, series. Uh, it's going to come from the Bible. We're going to use scripture and we're going to talk about how this isn't a new thing. This is something that's been going on really from the beginning of time. I like how you call it killing the gospel. First time I heard you say it, I thought, ah, wait a minute. Uh, but it's very perceptive because that's what the devil is always going yeah. after, the gospel. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that's what it's all about, yeah. killing the gospel. So um, so uh, how long, how long, how many weeks do you anticipate? We're believing that this series is going to take us all the way up to uh, November. So it'll be September and October. That's great. It's very timely because Americans are being deceived by mm-hmm. this, and it is infesting Everywhere. All right, so we've got a uh, got an article to talk about here. T- top five lies about Islam you probably learned in church. So number one, let me just read them real quick. This is an interview with an author named William Kilpatrick, and he writes a book on Islam. Um, that uh, the, this Q and A that he does in the article is very interesting. We won't do all five of them. We we uh, probably won't have time. But um, he he's, uh, his answers are really interesting and uh, perceptive. So the top five myths, what are they? Number one, Islam is a religion of peace. Hmm. Okay, it's not, folks. Uh, George uh, W. Bush, who I happen to like, uh, was very instrumental in laying that foundation for that lie. Mm-hmm. He said it all the time. Islam is not a religion of peace, folks. Number two, Islam has much in common with Christianity. Um is the, is the word Allah or Muhammad in the Bible? Mm-mm. Either one. I've never read it, no. and I've read the Bible a couple times. The vast majority of Muslims are moderate. That is uh, that is just ubiquitous, that lie he's saying. Jihadists misunderstand Islam. Jihadists don't. The jihadists are obeying the Koran. That's mm-hmm. what they're doing. Um, number five, many Christians also misunderstand Islam, like, oh, we need to understand him, and uh, when, we need to win him to Jesus. All right, so here's the Q&A with William Kilpatrick, the uh, the author. We are witnessing, uh, see, it's an, it's an interview with stream.org. <clears throat> we are witnessing the brutal Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. Given the strain of Islam dominant in that country— that nobody talks about it being Islam in Afghanistan or the Taliban or anything. They're all Islam. They're all Muslims. Given the strain of Islam dominant in that country for the past 1,400 years, was that victory always inevitable, the one we just lost? Kilpatrick says the strain of Islam represented by the Taliban is original Islam. Hmm. That is what Islam was meant to be. The Taliban do not misunderstand Islam. They understand it very well. The word Taliban, listen to this preacher, the word Taliban means students. Hmm. They are students of the Koran, the Hadith, Sharia law, and the life of Muhammad. As is the case with many other terrorist groups, the Taliban have a better knowledge of what Islam teaches than the average Muslim. I'm going to read that again. As is the case with many other terrorist groups, the Taliban have a better knowledge of what Islam teaches than the average Muslim. One of the main goals of Islam is the triumph of Islam over the whole world, worldwide caliphate. They want the whole thing, folks. And every Muslim has a religious obligation to aid in that uh, that mission. That's what the Quran says. 
Muhammad, the founder of Islam, said that jihad is much more pleasing to God than praying in a mosque or giving alms to the poor. I don't know if the Taliban victory was inevitable, the the, uh, author says, but it was highly likely, given, listen to this, but it was highly likely given their high degree of religious commitment. Who wins? Whoever has the highest degree of religious commitment. Yeah. We don't have religious commitment. We have Jesus commitment. Well, and, and this is but, the thing that we see happening is we, we see it even in our government. We see us projecting our own compromise on our enemies. We, we think because we're willing to have a weak spine and we're willing to compromise our deeply held so-called values that they would do the same and that this somehow indicates peace, love, and joy. And uh, that is a huge mistake tactically from a governmental standpoint. It's a huge mistake in faith, you know, to, to, to compromise your deeply held beliefs and then project that somebody else is going to do that is a sure way to make sure that your faith is not around tomorrow. Mm. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell. Yeah. will not prevail against it, right? Yeah. The kingdom of heaven must be taken by force. What does that mean? Do you, do you have an off-the-head, the kingdom of heaven is taken by force? That's not a genteel, no. uh, passive, soft uh, description of the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so um, anyway, so Kilpatrick, the author, says, uh, it was highly likely, given their high degree of re- religious commitment, combined with their belief that the reward for a jihad warrior is a heavenly harem. The reward in heaven, when you tell people, when you lie and say, look, men, this is your, this is your reward for dying for the jihad, a harem in heaven, uh, th- that is a motivation that is an awful lie. Well, especially if you're living hard- in a world where every day is just hard to get through, yeah. you know, where you're oppressed on every front, mm-hmm. where you're threatened with death at every turn where you're not living in the greatest circumstances and they get these young men who don't have a whole lot to look forward to in their life and they say this is what you're going to get if you go strap this bomb to your chest and run into this building yes there's motivation there amen history instructs us that the most successful resistance to the advance of islam comes from soldiers with an even greater religious commitment Mm. it's soldiers and uh, of course we talk about uh uh, all the all the Muslims getting saved across the Middle East. That's the that's the uh, obviously what we want for these these people to come to, to come to the Lord. Mm. Um, but but the Crusades were were fights against the spread of of jihad and the evil that 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 uh, comes in their in their path. And what you're seeing in Afghanistan, the evils they do that are unspeakable even are are simply uh, people obeying. The Quran. Question number two. Let's take one more. How re- how realistic is it to expect? Uh, let's not do that one. Let's go to. Uh, man, we're out of time, so I want to pick the best question. How does the woke left manage to cooperate and make common cause with pre-medieval, misogynistic, vir- virulently anti-gay, Sunni radicals? So. Here's the question he, he's at, that they're asking Kilpatrick. How does this these far left make common cause with these pre-medieval, mm-hmm. uh, they kill homosexuals, they, they brutalize and treat women like trash, but there's a connection there. 
And Kilpatrick says, this is interesting, the radical left, radical Islam alliance, is based on a shared hostility to Western and Christian culture. They both hate Christians. They both hate America. And that's why you don't have any kind of America first um, uh, philosophy in in kind of the leftist viewpoint of America. You know, there's there's this capitulation to just totally erode our American values and our American position, and that that that's exactly what what people uh, that are jihadist desire as well. Muslims are forgiven their misogyny and anti-Semitism because they are considered to be victims. There's that word yeah. again: victims of Western imperialism and ra- uh, racial bias. So critical race theory, and a lot of these uh, the, the guy the guy makes the point. A lot of these jihadists, uh, many of them. A number of them uh, were uh, educated in American schools where they're taught critical race theory. They're taught that uh, Muslims are the victims and Islam is a victim of Western imperialism. And and they they learn some of it in American schools mm-hmm. where they're a victim. Yeah. And the the victimology thing is is of the devil. We talked about that, you know, early, but it's it, Adam and Eve. You know, say serpent came to, to, to Eve. Look, you're a victim of God's oppression. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want you to have knowledge. Yep. You poor thing. And she, well, you're right. I'm the victim. So where was it born? It was born in the Garden of Eden, and we all are susceptible yes. to pity parties, right? We're all susceptible Absolutely. to feeling like a victim, and so that means everyone is is. Uh, it can possibly fall to the charms of critical race theory. That's why it's so important to know Scripture mm-hmm. and come to Fellowship Baptist Church uh, Wednesday night starting tonight, and uh, you'll, you'll be teaching on critical race yeah. theory. All right, so we're going to do one more segment that you'll like this one too, folks. It's going to, it is about Biden. Is he in the back pocket of China? Um, more descriptive, let's be a little more bold than that. Is he compromised, is what the article says. Biden opens door wide for China in Afghanistan. This is a chilling article. We're going to talk about it in the next segment. You're listening to The Voice of Truth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Kazinger, and got in the studio here, Pastor Brian Leversey, the only show in America where you'll experience the fusion of church and state. We got our third segment here, fourth segment, don't forget about it, our etiquette segment. We're doing uh, The Art of Manliness, my hey. book that just came out. That <laughs> Your book. It's really your. Do you think that's funny? I think that's funny. Uh, so it was by Brett and Kate McKay. So a husband and wife couple that put this book together, "The Art of Manliness." So we're going to be talking. We do. We've been doing the etiquette segment for a couple months now, a number of months. Table manners for gentlemen. Hey, and it, I, I'm not going to say we don't need that. I I sometimes forget. Well, I don't need that. Well, Maybe okay. Well, well, since the book's about you, I mean. <laughs> so uh, so. It's table manners for gentlemen, so this is boys probably need this more than girls, right? But um, it uh, conversely, the girls can just uh, listen and mirror, or just kind of understand what the man does and, and understand what, what about pizza night? Does it cover pizza night? 
say pizza, pizza, pizza. pizza like pizza. don't don't let too many chips fall on your shirt. It does not. That, okay. Maybe we'll, we'll check volume two. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the next one they covered pizza. Uh, we'll do that in the next segment. This segment we're going to talk about. Uh, oh, I want to I want to mention one other thing. I just during the break I was uh, scrolling and I forgot about to, to mention another victory. Virginia Supreme Court reinstates teacher who was removed for speaking out against gender policy. Wow. I don't know how this happened. I mean, you're talking about Virginia. Virginia used to be a solid, conservative, southern Christian state. The Virginia Supreme Court ruled to reinstate a Loudoun County. That's a liberal county, but it's a state Supreme Court. A public gym uh, teacher affirming a lower court's ruling. So they put him back in there. Um, let's see, the education teacher, uh, Tanner Cross was suspended for voicing opposition to the district's gender policy. Wow. And I don't know what the vote was at the Supreme Court, but Alliance Defending Freedom hmm. is a great group. You know, these yep. these pro bono groups, uh, a lot of these pro bono groups, the guy that uh, is in charge of it, Mike, uh, Michael, uh, uh, got his last name, Ferris. So, do you know Michael Ferris? I don't. So know. he's he was head of the homeschoolers. He started Patrick Henry College, which okay. is a college basically for homeschoolers, and he's a real warrior, big big time. So he's head of ADF now, and uh, so he would have spearheaded that battle, and they won. I don't see the number of uh, the the vote number, but uh, th- that was a surprise. So praise God for that. That was yesterday. Hmm. All right. So now we're going to talk about. Um, we may have to postpone some of this till next week because this gets down into the down into the weeds a little bit but but um why why is uh what's the big deal with uh china and biden that, that there's been a connection there forever this is a another story from stream this is stream.org the art the article is called incompetent question mark or is he compromised biden opens door wide for china in afghanistan for the rest of his life, Joe Biden will be remembered for the United States' uh, chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, to say the least. Biden's insistence on a quick exit exposed his stubborn contempt for his fellow Americans, especially those who died fighting there and those who risked being stranded there. How do you how do you do this, uh, preacher? How do you yeah. how do you do this in in reverse order? You pull everybody out, and then you try to get the people out. Then you try to get $85 billion worth of equipment out. Or are you doing this on purpose Mm. to purposely uh, arm uh, a whole army that is uh, the enemy of the United States, the the, uh, Taliban? Yeah, it's sure sure hard to make an argument that this was a real fluid, organized operation. That's for sure. So— Here's something interesting that I did not know. A range of minerals worth between $1 and $3 trillion lies buried in Afghanistan. Money. Always uh, the, the love of money is the root of all. It's always money, isn't it? It's the it root like of all evil. what a lot of the battles in that whole area of the country have been about. I didn't know about $1 to $3 trillion. Boy, crazy, of, huh? Uh, you know, uh, Ecclesiastes says the profit of the earth is for all. So God has profit in the mm-hmm. earth that is available to everybody. Yep. He doesn't not put it, you know, the, the, it rains on the just and the unjust, and the profit of the earth is even on, under Afghanistan, mm-hmm. uh, even under Iran and, and Iraq where there's plenty of oil. A range of, so $1 to $3 trillion in, in um, 
in, in minerals. The United States Geological Survey estimated that the country has 2.2 trillion tons of iron ore, 60 million metric tons of copper, 1.4 million tons of rare earths, like diamonds, gold, and so on. Um, so what? Uh, th- there, there would be something that would pique China's interest. In 2016, China signed a memorandum of understanding with the government of the now-deposed president, Ashraf Ghani. As part of the, that agreement, China sent $100 million in aid to Afghanistan. That funding provided the seed money for China to become the largest investor in Afghan business and to spend $62 billion on Afghan infrastructure through the Belt and Road Initiative. Hmm. So here you go. China wants Afghanistan. There's trillions of dollars underneath that soil. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, there's nobody protecting. There's no Americans protecting Afghanistan. And we pulled the army out. We leave $85 billion of just, uh, 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 you could equip a whole small army, yeah. and that's what we did. Yeah. And we left Americans there, and we left loyal Afghanis there. How do you do that? Yeah. Well, you know, and I know that there you get lumped with this whole conspiracy theory thing all the time anymore, even when you're just trying to ask questions and report truth. But it sure seems to me like if you're going to leave that kind of equipment there, and you know that there's already a relationship with China— There's a lot of talk of them coming in and grabbing this equipment, even if it's not military capable anymore. They can reverse engineer it. They can know how it operates. They're able to, uh, you know, uh, win against our equipment at that point. It's just it's a it's a horrible situation. And all that technology goes to China and whoever. If China gets it, they'll give it to whoever else. And and not only that, but if they get a foothold geographically there if that's the the nature of the relationship explain that to yeah. uh, the listeners because this is this is very very interesting in in terms of uh, prophecy it is you know the bible talks about the kings of the east will come against uh israel and uh, of course it's been said that that china is a big bulwark of that and if they get a foothold geographically in a place like afghanistan and they are uh, commiserate with Iran and, you know, the other enemies of Israel over there, Russia, um, you can then begin to see how that power formulates and, and really moves against the, the state of Israel. So, you know, I try to be careful uh, about charts and graphs and dates and all these types of things. When we talk about biblical prophecy, I really don't try to be too extravagant with it, but I think God put those things in Scripture for us to be able to see things unfold and be able to understand the dynamic of what's going on in the world. And certainly this is a huge vacuum that now has been developed that the Taliban is filling for now, which you don't want to have happen. But uh, I can see someone even more powerful like Russia moving into, or uh, Russia or China moving into this area and and really establishing something that can come against Israel at some point. So Mordecai said to Esther, who knows that thou art coming to the kingdom yeah. for such a time as this. Uh, David served his generation according to the will of God. That mm-hmm. is our, that's our duty. Yeah. We are to uh, spread the, the gospel in our generation. We are to stand up for the Lord in our mm-hmm. generation. We're here now, providentially, uh, put here by God, wherever we are, to, to stand up for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, things are looking dark. They are. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, God knew that they would be. That's right. God has a purpose, and he has a sovereign purpose. And it's our job to uh, stay close to God, bring others to Christ, yep. 
and uh, to stand up for God in the marketplace, That's wherever right. you are. So uh, God is Lord of the harvest. He's Lord of everything. Mm-hmm. He's Lord of government. He's Lord of schools. He's Lord of the church. He's Lord of every single thing. Yeah. Is that good? Is that uh, sound good. doctrine? Maybe not every knee is bowing right now, but certainly one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all. Amen to that. All right, we're going to be back in a minute with our etiquette segment. So, folks, get ready to sit up straight, pay attention, and uh, all that stuff. We're gonna—we just got some great lessons. Uh, that... I'm ready. I can take it. <laughs> Hit me. I'm gonna feel guilty again. Why do we do this? We're, we're just uh, masochists. I just hope my wife doesn't listen to our radio program. Yeah, that's she's gonna be the, expecting right. us every meal. It's gonna be. <laughs> all right, you're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show, the final segment. You folks have been waiting on the edge of your seat for uh, a week. Every week. How could they wait that long to hear your voice? <laughs> because we've taught them good etiquette. <laughs> hey, they're patient. All right, so um, here it is. The Art of Manliness, Classic Skills and Manners for the Modern Man. Brett and Kate McKay. I don't even know where I found this book. Glad I did because there's a dearth of manliness in the culture. Mm. Men are being attacked. Masculinity is being uh, mocked. And um, God made men men. Mm -hmm. He made us to be masculine. He made gals to be feminine. And um, uh, that's being being fused. It's being being mixed and reversed and so on. All right, table manners for gentlemen. Uh, here's another guilty part. We're going to feel guilty. Yep, Let's I'm talk ready. about that contract again. While the, rule, the rules of etiquette have largely disappeared from the public sphere, there is still an arena where your gentlemanly conduct will be put to the test. The dinner table. In the act of breaking bread, a man is revealed as a refined gentleman or an uncouth cad. Following these rules will mark you as someone anyone would be proud to have as a dinner guest. All right, so I'm going to review from last week the five we did last week. Number one, unless you're expecting a call that your wife's water has broken, be sure <laughs> your cell phone is turned off before sitting down to a meal. Yeah. Does anyone not bring their phone to the table anymore? Nope. No. <laughs> Even if you go out to lunch with somebody. Yeah. It's like, okay, you, whoever you're eating with is of second importance, and you make that clear by the phone right next to your hand. Oh. <laughs> Number two, if you are accompanying a lady to dinner, pull out her chair for her and f- allow her to be seated first. Mm-hmm. That's a lost art. So yep. pull your chair out for your lady um, and, and, until you get married. Do you have to after you get married to no, I think there's different rules for that. I think there's a whole other book. Yeah, you know, okay. We'll the get Married to that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, when you sit down, immediately place your napkin on your lap. This is last week's we're doing here, folks. If you see multiple eating utensils set before you, do not panic. The rule to remember is to work your way from the outside to the inside. Here's the nitty-gritty. Number one, uh, smallest fork for eating seafood. Next smallest fork. For eating salad, biggest fork, save that for dinner, small spoon for coffee, big spoon for soup. Everyone get that? Everyone took notes? Number five, wait until you know whether grace will be said before diving into the food. Mm -hmm. 
No man wants to be caught with a mouthful of a roll as everyone else is about to bow their head. <laughs> but it is funny to watch. <laughs> it is. Oh, uh, number six. All right, so here we go. Fresh stuff, folks. Keep your elbows off the table. Ooh, that is a rule, isn't it? Keep your elbows off the table. Okay. Yes, it is. Okay. Number seven. Always say please when requesting a dish be handed to you. I think I do that. Good. Unless I'm real hungry. Yeah. Then it's just like, hey, Get that potatoes look good. Give me that. Get- <laughs> that Send over. it over here. Number eight, among good friends and family, it is okay to request a taste of another's entree. Yeah. <clears throat> this, I think, is a mark of the depth of a friendship. I think so. I have a buddy I go out with. We've been best friends since ninth grade. I'll be eating my meal. All of a sudden, his fork comes over and starts digging into mine. <laughs> and you know what? I find it I find it endearing that he feels that comfortable around oh, me. Oh, You're yeah. not that way. You don't leave. I'm not a <laughs> – you have your fork for a reason and plate for a reason. <laughs> and leave it over there, there, right? Among yeah. good friends and family, because you're not listening here, preacher. Obviously, uh, you have a heart issue here. <laughs> that number eight – Against number eight, okay. right? Among good friends and family, it is okay, the book says, to request a taste of another's entree. Now, but- I do with my wife. I do. In okay. fact, we make it a habit that when we go to a restaurant, I mean, they give you such large portions anyway. We, we rarely eat our own plate, so we'll get something that we share, and we'll eat off the same plate. And, yeah. You know, so that's fine. But I can't even imagine doing that with you. <laughs> <laughs> we're not we're not that close yet. Maybe a couple of years. All right, we'll well. But do not attempt to taste everyone's food at the table. All right. So they did make that caveat, and we're glad they did. people do that? Yes, is, that yes. is that a real thing? Yeah, you're in West Virginia. All what do right. you want? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Number nine, when eating rolls or bread. Okay, this is going to – this is going to uh, – people, people are going to chafe on this one. When eating rolls or bread, put a pat of butter on your roll plate – and pass the butter yes, on. my wife told me about this. <laughs> we so, need to get her on the show. I think it was, uh, you know, I, I considered it a waste of energy and motion when you can just go right from the tub of butter to your roll. To the roll. That's uh, uh, Cut out the middle, man. Hello. Is, I'm all about efficiency. Yeah, but there apparently you go. I'm, you think like a man. When yeah. eating rolls or bread, put a pad of butter on your roll plate and yeah. pass the butter on. And then there's a, there's a special knife for that, too. Yes, there's there like is. a little shorter, stubbier knife. I think it was mentioned in the... Uh, last week. Okay. All right. Then do not put the. Okay. So then don't put the butter. Uh, don't butter the entire roll at once. But I like butter on my roll. Listen whole to this one. But instead, tear off a slice or a piece. No. no. <laughs> butter that segment. No. Eat and repeat. That's too much See? work. You got a rebellious heart. My goodness. Number ten. Do not eat too fast. Oh, that's a big problem. I yeah, have. me too. Chew, chew slowly and savor no. your food. Make time. For conversation in between bites, match your pace with that of your dining companions. I feel I can savor my food by putting more food in my face at a greater rate. Yeah, buy more food. I mean, look at me. I obviously buy more food. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, give me a break. How hard is that? All right, so these are good things that uh, – good perimeters. And, uh, you know, people – Americans, we we grew up with manners. I think manners are – are uh, a biblical because it's mm-hmm. it's loving your neighbor as yourself. Here's a manner for you um, that maybe somebody should write a book about. Maybe for for people who are 
in in office i don't know but maybe know when and when not to look at your watch too i don't know what i'm talking about well, by that, that but well, yeah i don't know but i just think to? i think that might be something that needs to be taught though. i think that you know what i think the president did that at a military funeral mm. is that is that what happened that, that. yeah 13 uh marines what a awful thing God bless their families. Yep. And their, did you see the photo of the mama of one of them surrounded uh, you know, uh, at the airport on her knees with her face uh, and her hands mm. on the casket? Yeah. Boy, it's heart-wrenching. It's awful. Mm-hmm. It's awful. I think uh, it just breaks my heart more than anything mm-hmm. is to think of, of the moms and dads. I mean, anyone with kids or even nieces and nephews, you yeah. know, my mom always said the the most awful thing in the world would be to lose a child, and these gold star moms and dads that do, I mean, God bless them. Yeah. All right, folks, that's it for the week. We appreciate you tuning in very much. Uh, we're just honored to have you listen. You're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio. We've uh, we uh, podcast before we go at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. We're on Thursdays at five, Saturdays at three o'clock, and. Uh, so, that's it for today and for this week. God bless you. See you next week. I will choose to-